I'm just going to go straight into my sermon today. Um, my sermon is a little long, so I just want to start faster so we can end faster. And that's also, I, pre- I preach this with a very heavy heart, and it's not easy. It's not something that is easy for me to preach. And so I hope that all of you guys will be able to receive it with an open heart and open mind. Um, some of you guys might not agree but I, I want to encourage you guys to open up your heart and your minds to see what the Word of God has to say today. Um, last week during the prayer portion of our service, I talked about empathy. And how empathy really is something that's very important for us at this hour. And this week, uh, I really wanted to continue with John 8. I've been preaching out of John, and I really wanted to, to preach out of John 8. But I just felt uh, Holy Spirit leading me to preach this um, sermon again. I preached it a few years ago, and I feel like in this season that we're in, with everything that's happening, um, you know, we all, including myself, need to learn to interact and understand each other with empathy. And so I'm just going to show you a quick video. I don't know if you guys, um, Molly has it ready, but it's by a woman named Brene Brown. So what is empathy? And why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment. Not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. (laughs) Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, (laughs) it's bad, uh uh-huh. No, you want a sandwich? (laughs) Um, Empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. I, uh, last time I preached on this topic, I actually showed that video. 
Um, and it's, I like it because it really does kind of communicate the heart of empathy in, in, in such a simple way to understand. And sh she breaks it up into these, three, uh, into these categories of perspective taking, being able to take on the perspective of other people, staying out of judgment, um, as we all love to do, including myself, especially myself, recognizing the emotions of others and communicating that. Um, and the key behind true empathy is connection, being able to connect with people in their place of pain and sorrow. That's empathy. And like she said, it's very different from sympathy because you can have sympathy for someone without truly understanding their situation. Um, sympathy is a recognition of their situation and feeling bad that they're in that situation. I'm sorry that you're in that situation with no real motivation to really feel and see whatever, like whatever their, the situation that they find themselves in. And Brene Brown, she said, it drives separation. Sympathy drives separation. You know, oh, I feel bad that you're in there, in that situation. And you tend to toss them advice and consolations, but there is the separation of you not really bringing yourself down into their situation and feel what they feel. Sympathy is triggered by an awareness of others based on our own feelings and experiences. Empathy, on the other hand, takes an extra step by striving to understand the feelings and experiences of other people. And from these definitions, we're also able to realize that empathy is a skill. Empathy is not something that you know we're innately born with. I know some people are. You know, we, we take these um, you know, personality tests, and some people have more empathy than other people, yes. But it's still an ability that we can learn, and it's ability that we can hone and we can sharpen. And it's something that we can improve in us. It's an action, and it's a choice that we can make. We can choose to empathize. You know, I'm not a naturally empathetic person. I really am not. But it's, but it's learned through ministry and through raising kids. I've been able to learn more about empathy. The Bible, Jesus himself, tells us to love with empathy. And the actual word empathy in the Bible, I don't think it really comes out um, defined, thank you so much, defined as empathy. But we see it all over the all over the Bible. We see it like in the golden rule. You know how the Bible talks about the golden rule? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, you also do to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You should love your neighbors as yourself. On these two commandments depends the law and the prophets. That's empathy. Treat other people like you would like to be treated. It's putting yourself in other people's shoes. Paul talks about in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice Weep with those who weep. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 3, 8. It says, finally, all of you have unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart and humble mind. In the Greek, that word sympathy is sympathes, and it means suffering or feeling the like with another. That sounds a lot like empathy. In John 3, verse 17, but if anyone has the words of God, and the world's goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's clear that in order for us to truly walk in love, 
we need to be empathetic. We need to have empathy. Now, the opposite of empathy, when you look it up in the dictionary, it says, when you look up antonyms, I've been doing a lot as I've been studying these days. Like, I just want to figure out a different way to communicate this. I just like, synonym of this word, and I just find a word that... But when you look at antonyms of empathy, it's like disdain, hatred, indifference, discord, disunity, apathy, mercilessness, disagreement, misunderstanding, and unfeelingness. I didn't even know that was a word. But I believe that a more natural antonym for empathy is self-centeredness, self-involvement. Because the average believer doesn't go about their day. They don't start off their day saying, like, you know what? I'm just going to be, like, really, really, I'm just going to be just really apathetic to everything today. Nobody starts their day thinking, like, I'm going to sow discord today. I'm going to sow hatred. I'm going to sow disdain. I'm going to be callous and insensitive today. But it's really easy to be self-focused about me, me, me. This is my worldview. This is my understanding. So many times what blocks true empathy is human egocentricity. We just get so focused on ourselves. We just get so much focused on the way that we see the world and the way that we see our personal lives and our cultural bias. And we don't do this on purpose, but we assume that everyone shares our own values and our own morals our own way of thinking. We expect them to come to the same understanding of the situation. And even though their understanding is very different from ours, we expect them to come to the same conclusion. And because of these assumptions, it prevents us understanding emotions, feelings, and pain. Instead of trying to understand our self-focused mindset causes us to automatically make assumptions. We judge. Remember she said, staying out of judgment. Well, it's really hard to stay out of judgment when, like she says, it's something that we really love to do. And, and we have a solution for them. We think that we throw out solutions. We throw out you know, advice. Well, at least you can do this. At least you have this. But there really isn't a desire for us to bring our emotions and our feelings down to the level of where they are. And and you know what? I'm preaching to myself here. I do this all the time. Empathy is a biblical principle because it requires humility. We have to be humble. We have to humble ourselves, recognizing our shortcomings, our limitations, and understanding our bias and our prejudice. It requires us to not judge. It requires us to stop just being focused on ourselves, focused on just the way we think and the way we understand. It requires vulnerability to enter into the understanding of others, their pain, their grief, their sorrow, their joy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. It's empathy. And it's a major part, and it's a major component of loving like Jesus. If you think that you can love other people without empathy, you're not loving like Jesus. But here's the thing. You don't have to agree with everybody to have empathy towards them. I'm going to say that again. You don't have to agree to have empathy. Let me give you an example. 
During the coronavirus lockdown, our kids were home 24-7. Literally 24-7. There was a time when we weren't allowed to leave the house because we just gotten back from Vietnam. And they were just in our face all the time. And, and it was just, we were just having a hard time. Although it was fun, too. There's a level of, like, being all together is fun. Then, you know, you could tell, you know, we were starting to lose it a little bit. And then I would watch Ethan. And Ethan, like, he doesn't know that I'm looking at him or watching him. But he would go and do something really mean to his little brother. He'll go there, and Ethan, Ezra's playing with something. And he'll just grab it, and he'll just throw it, and then walk away. Or one time, I just saw him just grab Ezra and sit on his face. Um, not to, like, play around. You could tell he just had this, like, anger. He just, like, wanted to hurt him, right? So I grab Ethan, and I say, hey, that's not right. You can't do that. What you're doing is bad, right? Um, I don't agree with the way that you're acting. And I tell him, no, you can't do that. That's bad. I don't agree with your behavior. But if I just leave it at that, I'm being a bad parent, And I learned this from Mina, but I have to come down to his level and really seek to understand why he did what he did. And when I really comfort him and I ask him, hey, like, it's right, you can just tell me, why did you do what you did? And he'll tell me, Ezra is constantly in my face. And he's bothering me so much. And I just need some personal space. I'm really frustrated with him. I still don't approve with his behavior. I don't approve that he sat on his brother's face or he took his toy and threw it. I don't approve of him being mean to his younger brother, but I am able to understand his heart. And that's empathy. And this is what God does for us. He empathizes with us. Even though he doesn't agree with our sins, he doesn't just tell us that we're wrong and he just leave it at that. He comes down to our level, and not only did he teach us how to be like him, but he literally did the ultimate act of empathy on the cross by dying for the very sins that separate us from him. It's out of love. He died for us. Remember that bear in the in the video? He was up he was up at the top, and I think it was a fox. Was it a fox? It's a fox, right? The little fox is at the bottom, and there's this separation. And then the bear kind of climbs down to the bottom and, and empathizes with the fox. Well, Jesus had every right to stay up in heaven. He had every right to not come down to earth. He had every right to not humble himself. But it says in Philippians 2, 6, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made In human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. He is the ultimate example of empathy. Because, you know, the number one characteristic of the kingdom of God, you know what it is? It's humility. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Ephesians 5 tells us that we are to be imitators of God. And our greatest example of empathy that we have is God. He models it for us. Our God is a God of empathy. Psalm 103, 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God, the creator of everything, he 
He made everything, and yet he remembers that we are dust. He looks at us and says, you know what? Like, they're, they're dust. And then he, he, he chooses to have compassion on us. He chooses to understand us and connect with us. He doesn't sit up where, up in heaven, far away, aloof, uncaring, with the I told you so attitude. But he, although he is God, he knows what kind of people we are. We're sinful. We reject him. But he chooses to know us intimately and personally and meets us where we are. That's empathy. God meets us where, he, where we are. Now, ultimately, he doesn't allow us to stay there, but he does meet us there. And you look at Jesus. He walked with empathy, and he related to people. Matthew Matthew 9:36 When he saw the crowd he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14:14 14, 14, When he went ashore he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. This is this is my favorite one. John 11:33 When Jesus saw her weeping, we're talking about Mary, sister of Lazarus, and the Jews had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They told him, Lord, come and see. And it says that Jesus wept. Jesus cried. Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that he could, he could do it and that he would do it. And yet, what does Jesus do? He cries. He weeps. Because his friend was dead. His sister lost a brother. That's empathy. That's coming down to the level of the people that are grieving. We have a Lord and Savior that empathizes with us. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He, he walked in love and compassion. He was engaged through empathy. He felt the needs of his people. He felt how lost they were. He felt how helpless we were. The cross is the greatest example of true empathy ever. He continues to encounter us in this way. In order for us to like properly love biblically, to love the way that God wants us to love, you can't take empathy out of your love. I believe a lot of us, the church, Christians in general, have removed empathy from their love. And so we have a lot of Christians that say that they love, love, love. But we also have a lot of people in the world that don't feel love, love, love. They feel judged. That's because Christians today has removed love, has made love into something that's really easy to do. I'll love you on my terms. I'll love you as long as, like... You have my perspective. I'll love you in my understanding. I'll love you from my comfort zone. I'll love you without vulnerability. And they feel like they're, they're loving people, loving the world, but it sure doesn't feel like it. So they've removed empathy from their love. Empathy, which was such an important aspect of the way that Jesus loved us. We've removed it. 
And removing empathy from our love will have a huge effects on how we interact with people around us. It will affect our interactions with people that are different, differently minded, different cultures. I'm not even talking about unsaved people. I'm just talking about within the church. The church can't be right with church when they're different. Right? There's church splits, denominations, condemning one another, racial divisions within the church. There's so much division amongst the church today, and a lot of times, a lot of it comes from the fact that our love as churches and as believers we is devoid of empathy. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, 26, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. And one part, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And I want to ask you today, do you have empathy in your love? Do you have empathy in the way that you love one another? There is a responsibility that we have as believers and as followers of Christ to lead the way in empathy. Trying to understand and meeting people where they are in their pain and anguish for our hearts to be taken to that place. Like for our hearts to not just like like look at what's going on out there and then and come to... Re- come to an understanding where really allow our hearts to get down to the place where where people are really crying and where, where people are really crying out for justice and so that our hearts naturally start to cry out for justice from taking our hearts down to the place where they're feeling. For the church to empathize and look within ourselves to see if there's anything coming out of it that might be hate or bigotry. Because empathy is that. It's also meeting people where they are in their pain, but checking our hearts and our motives to see if there's anything that we're doing that might be causing such pain. We have to put empathy back in the way we love. That means not just saying we love you from our comfort zone, from the way that we feel, our, our understanding. I'll love you on my terms. It means coming down to a place where we, although we may not agree with you, I want to understand. I want to seek to understand. We see this lack in the church spill out in the way that the unchurched views Christians. Lack of empathy makes us ineffective to the unchurched. You know the unchurched think we're a bunch of idiots? Really do. They they don't believe anything that we say. Really, really do. I've been around a lot of non-Christians even here in Budna, I used to work at Sharkey's. And I'll say, hey, what do, you, he's like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And they'll laugh at me. They'll literally laugh at my face. And they think I'm an idiot. That's just the way that the unchurched views us. You know why? It's because we've become so irre- ir- irrelevant to the world. It's because we say that we love, but we have no empathy in how we see unbelievers. We're called to be in the world and not of the world, but a lot of times Christianity has developed a lifestyle where we're not even in the world at all. There's no desire to empathize with lost people, to understand their perspective. And now this causes a greater separation, a chasm between the believers and the people that God calls us to reach out and make disciples. And then they see us and they're like, dude, those guys are idiots. Jesus, when he dealt with the lost, he had empathy. 
Luke 7. This is one of my favorite stories of Jesus. Jesus is dining at this Pharisee's house. This Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus over. He's like, hey, you know, like, you seem like a big deal. And Pharisees were like this. They used to, like, invite important people to their house because, you know, it made them feel important. And then they would invite important people. And they would dine in this area where everybody in the, in the town can kind of see what they're doing. They'd actually draw a crowd of people. They'd be like dining, and they're kind of like in their front yard on top on this elevated plane. And then, and then people will come, and they would be like, hey, look at There's Simon with Jesus. He's that Jesus guy. That's like everybody's talking about. And so Simon invites Jesus to, for dinner, and then all of a sudden, there's this woman, right? There's this woman, and the, and the Bible says that she's a sinner. Like we don't know what she did to become a sinner, but most likely, a lot of people say she was a prostitute. Some people say she was like an adulterer. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. She's just a sinner, right? She's not a good person, apparently. And she comes, and then she just like starts to like, you know, cry tears and wipe, you know, her, his feet with her hair. And he anoints him with perfume. And he's just kissing her. He, she's just kissing his feet. And Simon the Pharisee is like, if this was a real prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. Jesus asks him, where is a, where, there's a... There's a money lender. One man has a debt of 500 denarii, and the other one 50, and they both can't pay the money lender. And then the money lender clears the debt of both people. Who do you think will love him more? And Jesus says about the woman, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Did you, not, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, when he dealt with the lost, he had empathy. He was able to feel the intense emotions and the feelings that this woman was feeling. She felt sin. She, she, she felt shame. She was like, she was in this place of like, like, like being grieved at, at, at even just looking at Jesus and his righteousness and his holiness. And she's like, oh, but, but I have to approach him. And I have, and she's just crying and, and, and weeping. There's this just shame inside of her. And Jesus says, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. That's empathy. Jesus chooses to understand our pain. He chooses to understand our shame. He chooses to understand the, the very wretchedness of our soul. Jesus dined with prostitutes and tax collectors, and they loved him. Because he met them where they were, and it was from that place that he would transform their life. But you know what? You're never going to be able to meet people where they are if you not have a heart of empathy. If you're not allowing your heart to go down to that place where you understand. So I want to I tell you today, how do we grow in empathy? Like I said, it's a skill. It's an action. It's something that we can be better at. And like I said, again, I'm preaching this to myself here. This is all, this is all things that I need to grow in myself as well. The first thing I want to say is pray. Pray. Ask God, ask God for a heart of compassion. Ask God to give you a heart to really love people. People that you may be in conflict with. 
So if you want to grow in empathy for a certain person or a certain group of people, you have to first pray for them. Ask God for his heart for them. And from that place of prayer, we cultivate a lifestyle of empathy. It means we're, we need to be intentional. If there's someone in your life and it's hard for you to empathize with them, you have to be intentional intentional in praying for them, intentional in connect with them, connecting with them, intentional in loving them. And then lastly, I want to leave you with James 1.19. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If you want to grow in empathy, you have to listen. Listen! This is probably one of the most effective things that we can do to be more empathetic and loving to one another is to listen and to listen well. Listen without being quick to respond with an answer or a fix or a suggestion. Just listen. Best way that you are going to really understand what certain people are going through is to truly listen to them empathetically. I know we all do this. I do this with Mina all the time. When we get into argument and she just wants me to listen to her, I'm sitting there pretending to listen, but in my mind, I already have a response. But what about this? What about that one time you said that? What about, you know? But, but we really have to be able to learn to listen and listen from a place with no with no words to say or with no, you know, a, a way to respond back. We just listen and listen from a place, place of empathy. We have to learn to listen well. I heard Tim Keller talk about relating to people that aren't Christians, about Christianity, and he talks about how we need to get into heavy listening mode. It doesn't mean that you don't say anything back or not give any response at all, but you get into listening empathetically to the point where they tell you that you are articulating their objections better than they are. To the point where they say, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly what I feel. You listen to the point where you can articulate what they're saying better than that they can say for themselves. And when you get to that point, when they feel listened to and understood to that point, when, they, when they're more inclined to listen and hear what you have to say, when you've been empathetic and listening and expressing their problems to you, they will be in turn be more inclined to be sympathetically to listen to you as well. It's putting empathy back in the way that we relate to one another. And it can radically change the way that people perceive you and relate to you. If you just listen, be quick to listen, slow to speak. We're not saying that you don't speak, but put more effort into listening. And after you've listened, ask questions. Don't make assumptions. Don't judge. I do this all the time with Mina. I'll listen. I'm like, <laughs> in my mind, this is what I'm thinking. Yeah, you're wrong. That's how I listen all the time. She'll be like, blah, 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 blah. In my mind, I'll be like, I, I pretend to listen. And in my head, I'm like, you're so wrong. <laughs> oh, you simple woman, you know. I'm just kidding. I love my wife, and she's smarter than me. 
It's putting empathy back into the way that we relate to one another. We listen, slow to, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to be in judgment, staying out of judgment. It's so important in us really relating and understanding and communicating with one another. Lastly, it is also very important, we have to guard our hearts from empathy. Being empathetic isn't mean that we let everyone just dump our sorrows and problems on us. Sometimes we just got to take a step back. This is really important. There's going to be no power in your empathy when you get into that problem where you, eventually you're going to get burnt out. You're just like, everybody just dumps their problem on you. That's not being empathetic. That's being a, what is that? Like a doormat, yeah. And eventually, when you allow people to do that to you, you're going to get into a place where you don't want to connect with people. Your connection with people starts to, to, to die. The key is guarding your empathy, is setting proper boundaries. This is, I, I want all of you guys to listen to me here. You set boundaries, proper boundaries. So, so many times we're so bad at setting boundaries, whether it's fear of man or fear of rejection, we don't set any boundaries, and all of a sudden we just let people run amok in our lives, and all of a sudden we feel overwhelmed. We're like, ah, oh, I can't take this anymore. Get out of my face. And we end up being, you know, like cold and, and you know, bitter and resentful. Brene Brown, the lady that was talking in the beginning, she defines boundaries as what's okay and what's not okay. There's a really good video that she has. I, I, didn't, I, was, I wanted to put it up, but I think it was, was going to take too much time. But she says that the most compassionate people she met in her life are the ones that are most boundaried. Meaning the most compassionate people that, that, and the most empathetic people that she's met in her life are the ones that have set the best boundaries in their lives. You know, Jesus set boundaries. Jesus retreated from the crowd when he needed some time off to pray. He went, you know, he had his favorites. He had James, John, and Peter, which were, you know, the sons of thunder, and, and you know, Peter, the guy that always stuck his foot in his mouth, were his favorites. They got to see things that all the other disciples didn't get to see. One of the boundaries that Jesus set was he didn't heal everybody that was sick around him. You know, that's a boundary. Imagine if you had the power to heal and all of these people come and like, oh, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me, right? And yet, what did Jesus do? He didn't heal everybody. He would, be go, he would go and he would be very intentional about how he would heal and who he would heal. That's boundaries. And this is key in guarding and empowering our empathy. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's key in being able to effectively live a life of empathy. We led by the Holy Spirit. Because as you're being led by the Spirit, He will lead you into His compassion. He will lead you into the things that He loves. He will lead you into the things that break His heart. He will give you the grace and the love to connect with people with true empathy. And this comes from the discernment that comes from the Holy Spirit. You allow Him to lead your heart you allow him to lead you to people, and as you follow through him in, to him in obedience, his heart and his empathy and his compassion will start to be in your heart. And then you're going to start to be effective in your ministry. Ministry, 
this, what I'm doing is not the only definition of ministry, right? Everybody talks about, oh, he's in full-time ministry. No, you guys are all in charge of ministry. Every person that you come into contact every day, God expects you to have some ministry into their lives. And I want to ask you, how, what does that ministry look like? Be led by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Obey the Spirit and learn to truly live a life of loving with empathy and compassion. I want to end with this. And right now, I know that this may be a hot topic, but right now what's happening in America is just really, really horrible. It's terrible. Black people being murdered. Well, I saw that video and it broke my heart. I couldn't finish it. I could not finish that video. And I remember being in that situation. I remember being arrested. I got arrested after I went on this high-speed chase, crashed the stolen car, ran from the police for 45 minutes. They had to search all through the town for me. When they finally got me, right, you know, they, they, they pointed a gun at me, they put handcuffs on me, threw me in the cop car. But I believe that if I, was, if I wasn't Korean, I might have died that night. It, it just, it, when I would see what happened to that man, it would, ch- it would bring chills to my, to my back. I'd be like, I could, like it, I, w- I could have been in that same situation, and it could have turned out in a completely different way if I was not Korean. And the protests and the destruction that's happening is breaking my heart. My heart goes out to the black community and the injustice that they're facing every day just for being black. I can understand their anger and their pain and their outrage. And it's happening over and over and over again. Definition of insanity. I know that this definition is very overused, but it's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And this whole thing feels like deja vu. You know why? Because last time I preached this sermon was after Ferguson and all the things that happened after after that season of America. So my heart goes out. It breaks. And my heart goes out to the people that lost their businesses and even their lives because of the looting and the destruction. It's bad and it breaks my heart. I saw an article that says 79 Korean businesses were destroyed because of looting. That's just Korean businesses. That's just Korean businesses. didn't talk about any other, just Korean businesses. That is wrong. That's destruction. I don't condone that in any way. I remember living through the LA riots, 1992. I was a, I was a sophomore in high school. I think I was like 14 years old. No, I was like 15, 16 years old. Because I remember, yeah, I remember I had friends that had older siblings that would go out and riot. Um, I, I had Mexican friends, Hispanic friends, black friends in my school. And they would have older cousins and even uncles, and they would talk about going out and, and rioting and looting and doing all these things. In my sophomore year, and Rodney King's decision came out. Rodney King was this man beaten by the police. It was, it, it was, it was heinous. It was the first time that something like this was ever caught on videotape. The, the footage is all, like, grainy. You, can be, you, you know, it's hard to see. It's not like, you know, like our iPhones now. 
But you can definitely see police brutality, and it was bad. And the cops were acquitted. No convictions, no charges, and the city just went up in flames. And it all came down on Koreatown. And Koreatown just went up in smoke. I used to go to the biggest Korean church in L.A. And at the time, I think it was the biggest Korean church in America. And most of the elders were business owners, and, and about a third of them were affected in some way or another. Parents of friends that I'd grown up since first grade, they lost their businesses. There was a girl named Jenny Lee. It's a few year, years older than us, and her brother was killed trying to defend their liquor store. And some of my friends freaked out because my sister's name is also Jenny Lee. They thought it was me. But I saw L.A. burn and I actually thought with my teenage mind, thinking this something like this can never happen again. I saw what I always saw. I thought, you know what? This is so crazy. What I'm seeing with my eyes is so crazy. Something like this can never happen again. I was naive. But it happened again. But it did happen over and over again. And the situation is tragic in every sense of the word. But if we want what's happening to ultimately bring true change into this world, true, like real change, so I can tell Ethan one day, you know what, I lived through this because you don't get, you don't see this in your world, it's because we did something about it and, and people changed, right? If you want to see true change, we have to really try to understand each other. Because only when we truly understand each other is when we can really come to a solution and realize what the problem actually is. If we don't seek to understand, I don't agree with you, you're wrong. you might be very right and, and perfectly, you know, but if we don't try to understand this will happen again. Humble ourselves. Now, I want to, I want to, one of the things that I feel like I need to do is that we have to teach our kids. It starts with our own heart. Do you know that? Now, if you want change to happen in this world, it has to start in your heart. So many times we're like, you know what? You got to change. We say this so that they got to change. He got to change. But you know what? what where, the place where it must start for all of us is inside of our hearts. We have to change in our hearts first. If it's not changing in your heart, if you think that it needs to change in somebody else's heart first, there's something, there's something wrong with that. That's what's perpetuating this problem. It has to start inside of our hearts. Man, I'm trying. We're going to try our best to raise our kids so that they're able to see people equally that color doesn't matter. I want to, I want to do my best to raise our kids to love each other in a way where they understand the way that people feel. But it has to start from our heart. Parents here, that's our responsibility. It has to start from our hearts. Humble ourselves. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Brothers and sisters, what this, this whole thing that's happening, 
I, there, I, there's a lot of hope I have. I don't, I don't know if you understand. There, I'm feeling a lot of hope because really I've never seen anything like this. I don't think any of us has lived through anything like this happening right now. But at, at the same time, we can't just leave it there. We, we, we need to seek to understand one another so that we can see true change, true revival, true transformation come upon this earth. It's only when we truly understand can we seek to find a solution. Let's pray.